All right, we'll go ahead and let the kids be dismissed. They can head on back to class. And we'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 to start off this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Easter is the most exciting Sunday of the calendar year, I would say at least. You don't have to agree with me, I suppose. Uh, but I find it the most exciting. Uh, there's a few Sundays throughout the year that um, I always look forward to. I look forward to Missions Conference and the Sunday that begins that. And I look forward to Anniversary Sunday, which sometimes falls on Easter Sunday. And I look forward to, to Easter Sunday as well. For me, Easter Sunday is always uh, a day that I wake up and at least have uh, the joy that I'm supposed to have. I feel that way. I don't keep it necessarily throughout the whole day. But when I wake up on Easter Sunday, it, it automatically strikes within me the understanding that today is a day of celebration. Now, you know we Baptists can get a little crazy. Uh, we party a little too hard sometimes. Uh, but uh, with, our, with our donuts and our, and our ham, ham meals. But uh, uh, today we are going to celebrate the resurrection of Christ. Um, I planned on starting next week, but I decided to start this week a sermon series uh, entitled, Who is God? We're going to spend the next number of weeks looking at different aspects of who God is, um, look at different examples in the Scripture that prove who God is. And today I thought it was fitting uh, to go ahead and start that series with who God is. He is the living God. If you look throughout history and, uh, and study different religions, you'll find them worshiping things that are not alive. You'll find uh, throughout the Bible as well, throughout history, even today in other parts of the world, and surely parts in America as well, people who will worship a literal statue, something made of wood, something made of metal, something made of gold, something made of something uh, that some man built, and they worship that today. I find in that no hope. Um, there are people who today uh, worship someone who did live but is now dead. There are people today who worship nothing at all. But today we worship a living God, a living, breathing God. A God who says that when you call unto me, I will answer thee. We see a lot of different things about God today. Obviously, we will focus on the resurrection. But I want us to look in 1 Corinthians 15 and see an important passage here that is pointed out uh, in, starting in verse number 14. The Bible says, And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. We know the word vain. It means empty, worthless, uh, of no value. Look at verse 15. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that, is, that He raised up Christ, and He raised not, uh, uh, whom He raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. The resurrection is so much more than just the fact that we serve a living God, that we worship a living God. There is so much more to it than just that. But I can tell you this, that that alone is something to rejoice in, that He is alive. But I want us to focus this morning on this thought, if Christ be not risen up, 
then our preaching is in vain, then our faith is vain. It's worthless if he's, if he's dead, if he did not rise. Of course, we know that he did. Without the resurrection of Christ today, this service means absolutely nothing. Uh, I remember as a little child, we would wake up in the mornings on Easter Sunday to baskets. I don't know if you've done this or not with your children. Um, we, we do not do it with our kids, mainly just out of uh, uh, forgetfulness and not thinking about it till the day of and thinking, oh, we, we didn't get our kids candy. Um, but they'll get candy somewhere else, I'm sure. Their grandparents send them stuff. It's all okay. They're, tw- they're taken care of. But I remember as a kid waking up and there would be a basket. There would usually be a green basket for me and a pink basket for my sister. And it would have all that messy green fake grass in there that would be around the house for months afterwards. And there would be a few of those eggs that you can pop open and there would be candy inside and there would be a chocolate bunny Uh, maybe a toy of some sort uh, in there as well. And I remember some excitement coming around that. But you know, Easter being celebrated that way, I'm not against giving kids candy and chocolate and stuff like that. Uh, But Easter being only celebrated that in that sense, the Easter bunny, we never believed in the Easter bunny, but um, uh, nonetheless, uh, the Easter bunny and, and candy and things like that, that is what Easter would be about only if Christ had not risen from the dead. That'd be the only thing it was about. It's kind of like Christmas. At Christmas, we exchange gifts. My family does. And uh, we like gifts. I like getting gifts. I never turn down a gift. Um, I like gifts. I enjoy giving gifts. I consider myself to be a good gift giver. Um, I try to get creative for things for my wife especially. And I'll try to get her some things she asked for, but I'll try to get her things that she didn't ask for that she would like. That would take her by surprise. I think that's exciting. I enjoy giving gifts. But Christmas... Giving gifts is not what Christmas is about. Christmas is about a gift that that God gave us, uh, but it would be empty, it would be vain, it would be worthless if the only thing we celebrated at Christmas time was the gift giving, just as Easter would be worthless if all that we celebrated was candy. And again, I'm all for candy, but that's not what we celebrate on Easter. So today would be empty. The church would have no purpose. Um, The Christianity as a whole would be worthless if Christ did not raise from the dead. So let's focus on that this morning. Lord, I pray for your help. I pray that you would uh, help us as we look through many familiar passages today and look through stories that we've heard, many of us as children. But Lord, we pray that today you would give us something fresh, that you would encourage us, that you would challenge us through your word. And Lord, I pray that as I present uh, your word, that I would do it clearly and I would do it correctly. And I ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. We are not here in vain today because God is alive, because He is risen. Christ rose from the grave victorious. I love the verse that says, uh, Grave, where is thy victory? Death, where is thy victory? No, grave, where is thy victory? Death, where is thy sting? Did I get that right? I mixed it up. I like that verse so much, I mixed it up. Um, The fact that we have victory, the fact that death means, ultimately to a Christian, Death means very little compared to someone else. I have hope that when I die, I have faith that when I die, that I will go to heaven. Uh, When I lost my grandmother, it was one of the saddest moments in my life. I've been very fortunate to not lose very many people in my life. We have a very small family. My dad's mother passed away when I was in college. That was the first relative of mine that passed away. I was 18, 19 years old. Uh, my grandmother, my mom's mom, passed away three years ago on Thanksgiving or right before Thanksgiving. It was heartbreaking, uh, losing people. But along with the heartache of not being able to call someone anymore, 
There was also the hope that I would get to see them again one day. There was also the understanding that because they placed their faith in Christ, it wasn't the, the end all, so to say. Yes, we miss them. My grandfather's 92. He just turned 92 last week. And my grandfather misses my grandmother dearly. Um, uh, when every time I talk to him, he still tells me about how much he misses her, which just hurts even worse. But uh, we understand that there is heartache when we lose someone we love. But when we have hope in Christ, victory over death because of Christ, there is great joy that can come with that. There is great comfort that can come with that. Fifteen times in the Old Testament and fifteen times in the New Testament, the Bible refers to God as the living God. Thirty times total that I could find in the Scripture that the Bible refers to God as the living God. Today I want us to see a couple of things about the living God. Number one, we need to understand that God was alive from the beginning. Our finite brains, my very finite brain, has a hard time comprehending no beginning and no end. I don't know about yours. Mine does. When I start thinking about that, uh, I go a little crazy. Um, I do because I, I keep thinking back. Uh, I don't know. I can't really explain what goes on in my head. It's pretty weird. But nonetheless, I, I, I have a hard time with it. But Christ, God, was alive from the beginning. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, how can you create something if you didn't exist before you created it? He was alive from the beginning. John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Colossians 1.17 says, And He, God, is before all things, and by Him all things consist. Christ, God, uh, I apologize for mixing terms, they're all the same person in the end, but God was alive from the very beginning. We serve a living God, but it's not that we serve a living God because He was born, died, and rose again, although Christ did that. Our God was alive forever. <laughs> he was alive from the beginning. We serve a God that existed before the creation of time. We don't serve a God that was created by man. We don't serve a God that was invented by someone. We don't serve a God uh, that was uh, uh, built by someone or, or uh, imagined up by someone into, and developed into something. We don't serve a God that goes down at night and comes up in the morning. We don't serve a God that walks around that can be crushed by man's foot. We serve a God that is alive, and He has been alive from the beginning. Not only that, we see that God sent Jesus to die but not stay dead. One of the great things about serving a living God is the fact that there was a moment in which God died. Now we know God exists in three, three beings, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. The Bible says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but, how, but how, have everlasting life. What makes, um, uh, on top of the fact that God has existed before time, that God has always been alive, is the fact that God sent Jesus His Son. Jesus was 100% man and 100% God. And God sent Jesus His Son to come to this earth for the purpose of dying, but not staying dead. We see all throughout the Old Testament illustrations of the importance of blood being shed to pay for sin. Uh, we see uh, uh, throughout the Old Testament the sacrifices that were made 
where a spotless lamb or sometimes a bird would be, uh, would be killed and sacrificed, given up, and for the purpose of forgiveness of sins, blood covering the sins, so to say. It was an illustration, it was a picture of what Christ would one day do. Christ came to this earth for the purpose of dying. That alone is amazing that someone would love me enough to come to this earth for the purpose of of actually giving his life for me. We're going to look more at that in the coming weeks as we continue to look at who God is. But God gave his son knowing what would happen, knowing what had to be accomplished. Uh, In John 3 and verse 17, uh, we all memorize John 3, 16, and at some point some of us memorize 17, but we don't often say it enough. It says, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. So Christ came to this earth. God gave Jesus to this earth, knowing what had to be accomplished, that Christ was going to die. When Christ came to earth, many of the, uh, of the early Jews there when Christ's time, and the apostles to some degree as well, thought He came to establish the throne. As a matter of fact, one of the reasons why they were all for crucifying him when he was crucified was because he had not established the throne that has been prophesied about in the Old Testament that is still to come in the days ahead. But Christ came to this earth and he came for the purpose. He didn't come to judge the world at that time. He will. He will come back and he will judge the world. But at that time he came for a purpose, not to to condemn the world, but to save the world. To come and pay a price that had to be paid. Isaiah 53.10 says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It didn't mean that that made God happy, that Christ was beaten, that Christ was shamed, that Christ was nailed to a cross. No, it didn't make him happy. But when the Bible says it pleased him uh, to bruise him, it was because it had to be done to accomplish what God knew had to be accomplished. Have you ever had a teaching experience with your child that, that they didn't necessarily enjoy, but you were glad they learned the lesson? Uh, being a parent is not an easy job. And there are times when our kids, you, just, you want your kids to have everything they want. You want your kids to be happy and joyful, but you also understand there are just things that they, that they can't do. Sometimes it's based off of uh, uh, financial confinement that you have that you can't, literally can't do it for them. And other times it's out of knowledge, knowing that's, that's not really what's best for them. Um, my kids want a phone, a cell phone. We don't believe they need a phone, so they don't have one. Um, when they start driving, they can have a phone. I want them to have a phone when they're in the car. And uh, so if something happens, they can call me. Um, you know, that kind of thing. My wife's like, but they'll text. I said, no, we'll cut their hands off. They don't have to worry about that. But uh, they have a phone when they drive. Me and my wife still argue. Marriage advice. Me and my wife have argued more about two things with our children than we've argued about anything else in our marriage. Uh, number one is who should pay for college? Should we pay for college for them or should they have to work and pay for themselves? Um, we have argued more times about that and my kid, our kids are 10 and 8. Um, uh, we've argued about that in the early days of our marriage. We had a knockdown, drag out fight over should we pay for our kids' education. Oh, anyways, that and then the cell phones. Those are two things that for whatever reason we just we don't always agree on 100%. But having said all that, I don't know why I told you that. You didn't need to know that. Um, (laughs) Erase that out of your brains. Uh, Lessons that we didn't teach our kids. There we go. That's where I was going. My kids don't have a cell phone. They don't need one. 
they may know someone else that does, and they may think it's neat, and it is neat. There's games on the cell phones that are fun, things like that. My kids don't need a cell phone. They're never anywhere where they can't call us. They're at school. They can call us on the school phone. Um, they're with us. They don't need to call us. They're being babysat by someone. That person has a phone. They don't, they don't need a phone. We have a, a little tablet that we got for free when we bought phones one time that we have games downloaded on. They get to play on that. It's like my poor kids never get to see technology. But the point is, is there are things that they say, well, I don't understand why I can't have a phone. And I can explain it to them over and over and over again. It just doesn't matter. They don't need it. Um, an example that is often that was often used when I was a kid was the understanding of obeying your parents and, and not playing in the road. Does a kid need to understand why they shouldn't play in the road? Not as important as they just need to obey not playing in the road. Because if they play in the road, they're going to get smushed. Uh, they're going to get run over. That's not a lesson that you want them to learn on their own, right? You don't want them to be out playing in the road, get hit by a truck, and go, well, at least they learned their lesson. Well, no, that's not helpful. But there are lessons that we teach our kids that sometimes we, we can see them getting ready to make the mistake, see them getting ready to learn the hard way, and we're going to say, well, you know what? This is going to be good for them. In that sense, here, again, Christ, this, Jesus knew what was happening. Jesus was not ignorant of what was happening. And so it may not be the best example, but when it says that God was pleased that the Christ was bruised, it was the understanding that it had to be accomplished. It had to be done. God knew what had to be done. Blood had to be shed. Payment had to be paid. Someone had to pay the price. We talk about salvation being free. It is. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. A gift is free. Um, if you have to pay for it, it's not a gift. <laughs> but someone had to pay for the gift, right? If someone hands you a gift and they said, here, a happy birthday, here's a gift, you assume they paid for it. If they stole it, someone else had to pay for it. Eventually, it gets paid for. A gift is, is free to the person who receives it, but it is paid for by someone else. So Christ was coming knowing that He had to pay for the gift that He was going to offer to us. God sent Jesus to die, but not to stay dead. God was alive from the beginning. Number three, God could not stay dead. Would you turn with me to John chapter 2? John chapter 2. <clears throat> Christ brought this up. Uh, throughout his earthly ministry, that he was going to die, and that three days later he was going to raise from the dead. But we find that no one really caught it uh, when he would talk about it. No one understood what he was talking about at the time. Look in John chapter 2 and verse number 18. John 2 verse number 18. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, What sign showest thou unto us, seeing that thou doest these things? He's claiming to be Christ, the Son of God. And the religious Jews of the time were consistently pushing back against that. And so they asked him, what miracle can you show us? Verse number 19, Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, the temple they were standing in, and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body. Now he's saying to them, if you tear down this temple, which they're going to, himself, 
I will build it up in three days. Now again, they caught it as the building, the temple they were standing in. And they say, it took a long time for us to build this. And you're telling us that you can build it in three days? Verse 22 says, when therefore he was risen from the dead. So down the road, a little while later, Christ was crucified and he raised from the dead. When therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them. And they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. His disciples were standing with him. They walked with him daily. They didn't catch it. Not at the time. But it's interesting to me that, that when Christ did rise from the dead, the disciples, it clicked with them. Hey, do you remember when we were over at the temple? And Jesus said to the Jews, tear down this temple and in three days I will rise it up. That's what he was talking about. I don't know about you. I have many light bulb moments in my life where it clicks with me finally. I don't know if you've ever been one of those people. Thankfully, I've not been one of these people. Maybe you are. Or someone tells a joke and everybody's laughing and you're sitting there going, <laughs> and everybody looks at you like, what are you laughing at? The joke was five minutes ago, but I just got it. Okay, then we make fun of you. Um, if you're one of those people, I apologize. But nonetheless, there's those times where the light comes on and it clicks with us. Oh, I get it. Here Jesus told them in John chapter 2, the disciples didn't get it then, neither did the Jews, uh, the religious Jews that were there, but it did click with them eventually that Christ did uh, what he said did come true. Turn with me to Matthew 27. You can look at the different accounts of the resurrection in each of the Gospels, and, uh, and all of them are the same uh, as well as slightly different uh, in, in how they're recorded. But in Matthew 27... I enjoy this, this resurrection account. Matthew 27, let's start in verse number 57. Matthew 27 and verse number 57. Christ had been crucified. It says in verse number 57, When uh, the even was come, there was a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph, who also himself was Jesus' disciple. He went to Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be delivered. And when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed. And there was Mary Magdalene and the other Mary sitting over against the sepulcher. Now the next day that followed, the day of the preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees came together unto Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember that, thou, that the deceiver said, while he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. Command therefore that the sepulcher be made sure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away, and say unto the people, He is risen from the dead, so the last error shall be worse than the first. Pilate said unto them, Ye have a watch, go your way, make it as sure as ye can. So they went and made the sepulcher sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. And this is amazing to me. The events of the crucifixion were miraculous in themselves. You remember the earth, the earthquake, you remember the darkness, you remember the thunder that came and the fear that came on the people who were there as they watched and listened as God gave up the ghost. And, and his life ended there. Now these people have the goal to say, well, you remember the deceiver said that in three days he would rise. There were people, the men on the cross, the thief on the cross, who understood who Jesus was. There were people standing there at the cross 
that realized at that moment who Jesus was, surely that is the Son of God. But these men, prideful as they were, said we need to secure it so the disciples don't come and steal His body and claim He had risen. Look in chapter 28, verse 1. It says, In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the woman, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. Come See the place where the Lord lay. What an exciting event. Here it says that the guards, as the earth earth shook, as the angel appeared, his countenance was like lightning, his raiment white as snow, and for fear, these brave soldiers, and I'm telling you, we we sometimes think of these guys as those goofy guys on the cartoon Robin Hood. I don't know if you've ever seen the cartoon Robin Hood. I know I shouldn't use movie illustrations in a sermon, but have you ever seen the cartoon Robin Hood? You've got those buzzards that are the guards, and they walk around all dopey, and their hats don't fit, and they don't know what's going on. Oftentimes, I think we think of these guards like those, those buzzards, as dopey guys that are just thrown up there to do whatever. No, these men were worried that, that the body was going to be stolen and claimed that it was risen. They were going to do what they can. It says in, in chapter uh, 27 and verse 65, Pilate said, make it as sure as you can. So these weren't dopey guys who failed uh, and dropped out of, of, uh, of cop school. You know, they, These were soldiers, centurions, guards, and they were there and they were, they were out of fear, passed out, fainted. Now, I don't know what these men had seen before. I don't know if they'd been in battle. I don't know if they had just been in the, <clears throat> the city there and, and what all was involved with it. But I know that, that probably it wasn't natural for them to pass out in fear. Now, I've never passed out in fear. I've been very fearful before. I've been terrified before. You ever been on a roller coaster? That's scary. Um, I've been scared before. I've never passed out because of it. But the sight, the sounds... And the presence of the angels brought so much fear that these men were as dead men. They passed out. When Mary and the other Mary arrived, the angels said, uh, Fear not, first of all. Which I think is kind of funny because you've got two passed out, or at least two passed out guards <laughs> laying there. Uh, but the angel says, Fear not. These guys are just wimps. It's okay. I know why you've come. You've come to see Jesus. But He's not here. He's risen. Not only that, he says, come and see for yourself the place where Jesus lay. And they walked in and they saw that Christ was not there. This afternoon, we're going to look at the doubt that sometimes comes with the things of God. But here this morning, we see this, this, the excitement that, that eventually came when they began to realize and begin to understand He is alive. He is risen. They ran back and told the disciples. Uh, they began to tell people. Many people didn't believe them. We know that Christ appeared to to Mary, whom he had cast out the demons from before. She was sad until she realized that he was alive. As a matter of fact, she was speaking with him. You see, God could not stay dead or else he would not be God. Hath God not risen from the dead, then our faith is in vain. 
These disciples had believed, these apostles had believed, these Marys had believed that Christ was who He said He was. And even though the mob said He's not, let's crucify Him. Pilate himself said, I don't see any wrong in this guy. But he appeased the people. But there was a, a handful of people in the world at that time that believed that Christ was who He said He was. And when He died on the cross, there was great sadness. I believe to some that even believed that He was who He said He was, there was still a, a confusion, a lost hope, so to say. Well, this wasn't supposed to happen. Why is He dead? These Marys were coming back to the grave to tend to the body. Back then it was important that they came back and uh, they sprayed different things and took care of the body in different ways. Uh, uh, and now we kind of do it all at the beginning of the death as opposed to consistently throughout. But nonetheless, they came to care for a dead body to find out there was no dead body there. He is not here. He is risen. God could not stay dead because then the rest of eternity would be in vain. But it is not in vain because Christ did rise from the dead. Lastly, this morning, I want us to look at this. We've seen that God was alive from the beginning. We see that God sent His Son Jesus to die but not stay dead. We've seen that God could not stay dead. He did not stay dead. He rose from the grave. Turn with me to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Now that God is alive, because God is alive, we have work to do. We can sit here this morning and say, Oh, we serve a risen Savior. God is alive. We can sing songs. We can rejoice. We can do all those things. But what do we do now because God is alive? Well, we just go to work on Monday. Just go on with our lives. No, we have work to do. Look in Acts chapter 1. Christ had risen. He had met with a few different people since His resurrection. Now He is beginning, uh, getting ready to ascend back to heaven. He's meeting with His apostles and explaining to them what was getting ready to come and what He expected from them to do as they prepared now for the second coming of Christ. And look in Acts chapter 1 and verse number 6. It says, When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Now remember, the, the Jews, that's what they were looking for. That's what they were expecting when Jesus came the first time, was to restore the kingdom, to establish the throne. The disciples asked him, well, now, now are you going to do that? Look in verse 7. And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. You ever told your children, you don't need to know everything? I don't know if you've told them that or not. I have. You don't need to know everything. It's not important for you to understand that right now. That's what he's telling the apostles. You, you, you're not going to know when that's going to happen. You don't need to know that. Look in verse number 8. But you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, where they were, and in all Judea, and the surrounding area, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. That's a very large impact that Christ is expecting them to have. 
Look in verse number 9. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by uh, them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. I find it interesting. God tells them uh, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. Pentecost is about to happen where the Holy Spirit came upon uh, uh, the apostles and they began to preach. They began to preach uh, and they began to speak in tongues. This is important because tongues is a thing in the Bible. You just got to make sure you explain it biblically. They speak in tongues, meaning that they spoke in several languages. When they spoke, everyone could understand them in the language in which they spoke. Anytime in the Bible, this is... this one has to do with this part. Anytime in the Bible you see the issue of tongues, you will find that everyone around understands what's being said. And if you can't understand it, then it's not biblical tongue speaking. Plain and simple. That's the easiest way to explain it. Uh, nonetheless, moving on. Uh, that's about to happen. The Holy Spirit comes upon them and the apostles begin to preach and everyone that is there from different countries standing next to someone who doesn't speak their language, they can both understand what's being preached. That's about to happen. Christ tells them that's going to come. But he doesn't say just preach at Pentecost, but he says preach in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and all the uttermost parts of the earth. Go everywhere and preach. Proclaim what you've seen. Proclaim what you've heard me teach to you while I was here. Go and tell the world that Christ is risen, that the grave has no victory. And here we see uh, God say that. And when He does, Christ says that. It says that He departed up. He went up. Where is heaven? It's up. How do I know that? Because that's where Christ went. He went up. And so Christ went up. And, uh, and it says He went up in a cloud, received Him out of their sight. And while they're sitting there staring at the heavens, these two men in white apparel that we find out are angels, say, hey guys, what are you staring at? Why stand ye here gazing? The same Christ who just went up is going to come back. You got work to do before he returns oftentimes as christians we we read the bible and we know the stories and and we say well christ came and and he died on the cross and he was buried and he rose again the third day that's the gospel uh, that's defined for us in the bible Uh, and and we say uh, well praise the lord he rose again and then we just stand there gazing staring but usually not to the sky just off into the distance doing nothing You've heard this before from me, from other people, but I believe it to be true. If you're breathing, there's a purpose. If you're alive today, if you woke up this morning, I believe God has a purpose for your life. I believe there's a reason why you're still alive. And we have work to do. If you're here this morning and you're a Christian, if you're here this morning and and, and you claim to be a child of God, then you've got important work to accomplish before He returns. When's he going to return? I have no idea. I admit as as a dad, I want to see my kids grow up. I want to see them get married. I want to see grandkids. Uh, I want to see them uh, uh, do things in their lives. I look forward to those days. There's a lady in Indiana, in our church in Indiana, Miss Carol. Miss Carol is a, a very kind lady. Her and her husband were just incredibly helpful to me in our church there. But Miss Carol has this, uh, this urgency to get to heaven. Uh, like I've never met before. Every time you see Miss Carol, she says, another day closer. 
And I say, hey, I got some things to get done. <laughs> Let's just calm down a little bit. But every single time we meet her, she lost a child when her child was, I believe, two or three years old. She says, another day closer, I'll get to see my child. She has an urgency, a desire to get to heaven. She has, still has children on this earth, has grandchildren. She loves them to death. She loves spending time with them. She's ready. And I guarantee you she's been preparing. I know she has. She's a faithful witness. She shares the gospel consistently. She serves the Lord with the talents that God's given her. She's active. She's faithful. You see, oftentimes, though, we sit there and we go, well, yeah, Christ died for me, and yes, I've accepted Christ as my Savior, and yes, yes, I, I, I believe that Christ rose from the dead, and then we just stand there gazing. And maybe we've been told, I grew up in church, I grew up in a Christian home, I was told all the time, get busy, do this, do that, work, prepare, dress right, talk right, sing right, all that kind of stuff. Now, oftentimes, though, as Christians, we just fall into this. We do things because, well, we're kind of supposed to do them. We don't know why we're doing them. Well, the reason we're supposed to be doing the things that God has told us to do is because Christ rose from the dead and He's going to come back. And we've got work to get done. Don't do what you do because someone's told you to do it. Do what you do because God's told you to do it. Read your Bible. Study it. Understand what God uh, expects from your life. Because God does expect something from your life. He expects obedience to His Word. Well, and oftentimes we get told by people, we'll look at it this afternoon, but we get told by people, you have to do it this way. Well, the Bible says, well, try that to the Bible. Does the Bible say that? Because sadly there are people in this world who tell you you're supposed to do something that the Bible doesn't tell you you have to do. And we get caught up in the same traditions and the same mindset that the Pharisees were caught up in. And guess what? The Pharisees are going to be in hell. The fact that Christ rose from the dead then tells us as Christians we have work to do because He's coming back. So what is that work? Get in your Bible. It's very simple. Some of it is. God says go into all the world. Preach the gospel to every creature. Have you been sharing the gospel with people? If you're not, then you're not obeying God. Do you have to go out and knock a thousand doors a week? No. But you've got to share the gospel with people. You have lost relatives, give them a call. Some of them will reject you. Most of them, maybe, will say, I don't want to hear that. You have neighbors? Have they heard about Christ? Go tell them. Coworkers? Coworkers are oftentimes the easiest ones to tell. Why? Because every Monday you come in from work, someone starts talking about the weekend. What'd you do this weekend? You can start the conversation. Hey, what'd you do this weekend? And then you got to plug your ears while they say some of it. But then when they're done, you say, you know what I did this weekend? I went to church. The pastor preached about this. I learned about this. I was reminded about this. We talked about Jesus and the fact that he came and he died on the cross. And, and he did it for me. And he did it for you. And he rose from the dead. And he's alive today. Hey, did you go to church this weekend? Do you have a church you regularly go to? My pastor's going to be talking about God a lot in the coming days. Why don't you come to my church this Sunday? Now, is that a gospel presentation? No, not necessarily. Some of it is. Part of it is. But we've got to begin talking to people, sharing the gospel with them, getting them into church where they can hear the gospel. That's what we have to be doing. We have to be out there loving our neighbors, loving our enemies, loving our family. 
We've got to be out there doing the things that God told us to do. If you don't know what those things are, you've got to read your Bible. Don't expect someone else to tell you. If you're a Christian, get in your Bible and let God tell you. If you're not a Christian this morning, the wonderful thing is, is that God said that the wages of sin is death. That means a penalty has to be paid. But the gift of God is eternal life. And God has offered the free gift of salvation. And if you're not a Christian, if you've not been saved, and those are church terms, so I want to be careful with those. But if you've not put your dependence in Christ to save you from the sins which you have committed and which you will commit, if you have not put your trust in Christ to one day take you to heaven, today can be the day that we can help you answer some questions and share with you from the Bible how you can know you can be saved. Christ is alive. God is alive. Today we celebrate the resurrection of Christ, the fact that we worship and that we serve a living God. God was alive from the beginning. God sent His Son Jesus to die but not stay dead. God did not stay dead. And because of that, now we have work to do. Don't stand here gazing. Don't stare into the abyss. Get busy for God. Do what God wants you to do. Lord, I pray for your help this morning. Lord, today we we do come. we, We dress up maybe a little bit and we we get excited about Easter Sunday. Lord, we talk about your resurrection, that you are not dead and that you are alive. And Lord, we, we praise you for that. Lord, we thank you for that. God, I believe this morning I'm talking to good people. All or, or at least most are saved. Lord, I pray that today we are not wasting the time on this earth that you've given us. Lord, I pray that today if we're not living in light of the fact that you are a living God and that you are going to return one day, that today we would stop staring and that we'd start working. God, I pray that you would help us. We should be motivated by what you've done for us. And Lord, oftentimes, even though we are in awe, we still do not do what you expect us to do. So, Lord, I do pray that this morning you would help us to live our lives the way you desire for us to. God, I pray that you'd help us to get into our Bibles and learn for ourselves what you expect from us. God, that we do not just follow men, for all men are failures. But, Lord, that we would follow you, for you are perfect. God, I pray that over the next couple weeks we will learn more of who you are. And, Lord, that it will motivate and encourage and challenge us to live the way you want us to live, to accomplish in our lives what you want us to accomplish. But God, today, may we understand that we serve and we worship a living God. And may that motivate us to obey you more today. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, this morning I just want to ask, I'll ask three questions. We will not have a come forward time in the invitation. We will not have a, uh, an opportunity for you to come forward and pray. And so if you have something that God's been dealing with you, and you can take care of that right in your seat and pray where you are. But I want to ask just three questions so I can know how to pray for you this morning. Question number one, how many of you this morning can say, not only do I know that God is alive, I know that because of God and what He did for me, I know that if I were to die today, without a doubt, without a, I know for 100% for sure that if I were to die today, I would go to heaven and be with the living God. 
this morning, and I can rejoice in that. Would you just slip your hand up, stick it up in the air, and put it right back down? Thank you. Put your hand down. Question number two. If you'd say this morning, you know what, Pastor, I, I know that God's alive. I believe those things that God's done for me, but there's never been a time in my life where I've I put my trust in Him. And if I were to die right now, I, I don't know that I would go to heaven. You'd say, don't embarrass me, but if you'd be willing to pray for me, I'd sure appreciate that. Would you slip your hand up in the air and put it down? Okay, so that means from everybody's raised hands earlier, everyone here is a Christian. So let me ask you this last question. Are you living your life the way that God wants you to live it? Are you working? Or are you just staring? If you're not, today I pray that you will dedicate or rededicate in your life to work because Christ is coming back. This morning, if, if you would say, you know what, Pastor, there was something that, that God spoke to me about today, and uh, we're not going to get specific about it right now, but if you say there's something God spoke to me about today, and I'd be okay if you prayed for me while I take care of it with God. Is there anybody like that this morning? Just pray for me, Pastor. God spoke to me about an issue, something in my life, something else God spoke to me about. Pray for me. I'd be happy for that. Just slip your hand up and put it down. Thank you. Thank you. All right, let's close. Lord, thank you again for letting us come and, and, and talk about you this morning in freedom. And Lord, I pray that you would help us again to live our lives the way that you intended it for it to be done, or that we would accomplish your will in our lives, that we would not waste any more time but God, that we would honor you uh, with our lives. Help us, Lord. We need your help. We cannot do it on our own. We need your strength and your boldness. Help these that uh, you've spoken to this morning. Lord, give them what they need. And now to go forward and do what you've told them to do, I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right. In just a moment, we will set up lunch. We do have the uh, photo th uh, display in the uh, Sunday school room. Um, and so before you leave, I know a number of you are running out uh, here for lunch, uh, but uh, make sure you get a picture taken uh, with your family. Thank you for being here. Guests, I want to make sure I get you a gift, so I'll catch that. I know some of you are leaving pretty soon, but uh, make sure you get a gift before you leave. And uh, thank you for being with us this morning. Once we get everything set up and ready to go, uh, we'll pray for lunch and we will eat. Let's go ahead and be dismissed. <clears throat>